it's been my experience that most people that are going through what we went through back in the days, man, we weren't too very spiritual or religious. So that word God, man, that throws up a big roadblock early in recovery. But like I said, man, God could be anything. It could be a group of drunks. It could be a tree in your front yard. You know what I mean? The way I see it anyways, it's got no ties to any religion or whatsoever. It's more of a spiritual being. It's time for the Share Recovery Podcast, where we bring you amazing life-changing success stories from addicts and alcoholics all over the world who share their inspiring journey in recovery. And now, here's your host, Oh. On today's episode of the Share Podcast, we have Seth Manter joining us. He's my homie from Northern California, good friends with Shane Raymer of That Sober Guy Podcast, which is how we met. And when he celebrated five years, I heard his episode on That Sober Guy, and I said, I got to have this guy on the show. So we're going to jump into his episode, but first, a little share podcast news. So first of all, last week's episode was with Cold Chance. I've gotten quite a few emails about just how much people love that episode. And, you know, no bullshit. She has got a, a shocking story and uh, super inspirational all at the same time. So I figured now would be a good time to kind of plug some of the interviews that I've gotten feedback from where we definitely had some raving fans. Uh, one of which is George D. Gut Level Honest. That one is just horrifyingly real and I did get a lot of people that said they absolutely love the episode that I should plug it more um, it will make you cry it is so emotionally charged it's so inspirational I just I fucking love George he's the shit another one of my favorites is the recent one Michael Hilton's that one was hysterical Michael also has a very powerful story depicting beautifully just how powerful the disease really is. You know, today, Michael is is a life coach. He's a motivational speaker. The title of his episode is Change Your Mind and Change Your Life. It's episode 46. He recently celebrated 10 years sober, and he started his own Facebook private accountability group called Sobriety, Recovery, and Beyond, which I am also a very active participant in. It's a great group, especially for newcomers. Do yourself a favor, check that episode out. If you haven't heard it already, you'll absolutely love it, I promise. And then um, an Eric Zimmer, The One You Feed. That one got a lot of press. It was probably because of Eric's viewpoint on a higher power. And so I did get a lot of people that, that emailed me or, or posted on the Facebook page that said they, they resonated a lot with just exactly where he was coming from as far as the idea of a higher power. So again, these are the episodes that um, if you haven't heard them, check them out. There's some of the ones that have, there's there's more, but just some of the ones that, that you know, off the top of my head that I, I remember, like I got lots of emails about, these are the ones that you should probably check out next. And before we move on, here's a recorded message from Penny, who just absolutely loved Cole's interview as well. And Penny has just been doing a tremendous amount of service work. She just she recently opened up her own Facebook private accountability group, The Recovery Buddha, and she has just become a service-aholic. She's fantastic. She's really very inspirational and super positive. Um, and this is what she thought of Cole's interview. Hi, oh, it's Penny. I just wanted to say thanks for the shout out on Cole Chance's podcast you did and how amazing she is. She is truly a miracle. God bless you. God bless you too, Cole, and all the very, very best. Bye for now. Love you, Penny, and God bless you and your family. God, she is just the best. I love it. I love it. I love getting these messages, guys, so don't be shy. Send me them. And moving on, um, don't forget to rate and review on iTunes, guys. Okay? Um, that really helps promote the show, and it helps keep us ranked high on iTunes, which is how people find us. This is how people find the Share Podcast most of the time. If you don't know how to rate and review on iTunes, go to YouTube and then search for how do I leave a rating and review 
on iTunes and it will show you. There's about 55,000 examples. Also, feel free to donate. Uh, first of all, thank you to all of our loyal listeners that have been donating. And again, if you feel compelled and you love the show, we can certainly use the support. All the proceeds go to fund and finance the Share Podcast. You know, all these shows, what you hear, they're all edited. They're never one and done. So I do my best to put out quality podcasts. So if you have the wherewithal to do so and you are compelled to leave us a donation, just go to the website, www.thesharepodcast.com. Top right corner, click on the donation button, and it'll take you right to the donation page. You can make a one-time donation or you can subscribe. I make monthly donations. It's entirely up to you, but all donations are warmly welcome. Thanks again to all of our listeners who have already donated. Okay, so moving on, the sober podcasts, uh, including Shane Raymer, that sober guy, Paul Churchill, the Recovery Elevator, and myself did another did another collaboration, and this time it was this time the topics were New Year's resolutions, being of service, and relapse. I hope you enjoy it. We had a lot of fun making this episode. We have fun every time we make these episodes. It's going to be up this Thursday, January the 14th, two days from now. Make sure to check it out. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And just real quick, a plug for Transitions Daily. Uh, If you go to the website on the right-hand side and scroll down, you'll see a banner for Transitions Daily. And also, if you're subscribed to our weekly newsletter at the bottom, there is a link to Transitions Daily. If you click on it, you can subscribe, and every day you will get a compilation of multiple AA Daily devotionals. People absolutely love them. They love getting them in their email box because we're addicts and more is better, right? So go to the website, uh, www.thesharepodcast.com. Scroll down on your right, and you'll see the Transitions Daily banner listed right on the homepage. And um, I've decided to start putting this out here on some of my episodes that I do have some dream guests that I I would love to have on board. Um, I recently reached out to Rich Roll of the Rich Roll Podcast and Finding Ultra because I would love to get him on the show. He is super busy. He did graciously respond to my email, which thank you so much, Rich. Um, But he is one of my dream guests that I would love to have on the show. Um, One of the books that is highly recommended is Blackout, Remembering the Things I Drank to Forget by Sarah Heppola. I would love, absolutely love to have her on the show. And my dream guest of all guests, which would be Robert Downey Jr. I'm just going to put it out on the show. Robert Downey Jr., if by any chance you were listening or if there's someone out there that is tight with Robert Downey Jr., I would absolutely be honored to have Robert Downey Jr. on the show. What about you guys? Just as I suspected. Just as I suspected. So, Robert Downey Jr., let's get you on the Share Podcasts. Other than that, that's about all the Share Podcast news that we have. We're going to do a quick word from our sponsor, and then we're jumping right into Seth Manter, Group of Drunks. Sober Nation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction, as well as to the family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, Sober Nation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recovery and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line, which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can easily be found at www.sobernation.com. Sober Nation is putting recovery on the map. Now back to the show. Hey, Seth, thanks for joining us. Hey, what's going on, man? I'm really excited to have you on the show today, man. How you feeling? I'm good, dude. Uh, I've been looking forward to this for, I think we're probably going on two weeks now, but officially, I guess a week is when we made contact. And then, so anyways, I'm good, dude. I'm excited. Yeah. 
Excellent, my brother. Well, let's do this, man. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have Seth Manter joining us on the Share Podcast. He is my homie. He's a good friend of Shane Raymer. That Sober Guy Podcast, that's where we met. I'm excited to hear your story, brother. Hey, thank you all. Thanks for having me. All right. So, Seth, let's dive right in, buddy. So, tell us a little bit about how your life is today, your hobbies, what you do for a living. Take us into your normal daily routine, including recovery. So, man, my life is good. I'm a husband, a stepfather. I'm just a normal, average dude nowadays, man. I, I go to work. I work a lot. My, my most favorite thing and my hobbies are, you know, spending time with the family. I'm an avid sports fan. You know, just a regular average dude, to be honest with you. And, you know, as far as my recovery goes, just real quick, I'll start out by saying, you know, my recovery works for me. And, you know, obviously it's not going to work for everybody. But what it's done for me, you know, has just really changed my life and opened my eyes to a whole new lifestyle that's possible to live. Early in recovery, I started out with Alcoholics Anonymous, obtained a sponsor, had a sponsor, took me through the steps, you know, a couple of times, and it was great, you know. So today I live my life by the principles of AA. I know that I should probably be spending more time in the rooms of AA, but what I got going on right now is it's definitely working. I learned one thing in AA, man. If what you're doing is working, work it, you know what I mean? You don't change it. But I always keep in the back of my mind, you know, like there's AA and NA out there to for me to fall back on. And that's not to say that I don't live by those principles that I learned in those rooms on a daily basis, you know. So I stay connected, man. I have a really good support system. Like I said earlier, you know, I spend a lot of time at work. And it's really crazy, dude, the way that this sobriety has worked. I have a couple of coworkers at work. One of them's got 35 years, man. And I thought this dude out. Yeah, 35 years. And I thought this dude out. And we've actually, the, the last probably seven or eight months, Myself, Tim, and then there's two other guys that are in recovery. We uh, commit to having lunch together on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And uh, it's kind of like a, just a little support group that we have at work. And it's cool. It's really cool. You know, I get to get away from the people that I work with all the time and have lunch with those guys. So my recovery is everywhere, dude. It's at work. It's when I get home. It's my life. Beautiful, brother. Absolutely beautiful. And I get it, man. I get it 100%. You know, I heard early on in recovery, one of the old timers said, you know, I like to wear recovery like a loose garment. You know, the whole idea of not taking yourself so seriously. And I do the same thing, man. I meet with my sponsee probably... I've got three sponsees right now, and I typically meet with at least two of them once a week and meet with my sponsor you know, a couple times a month. And what we do is we, you know, we go out to lunch and we catch up, man. You know, talk about life on life's terms, man. That's, that's, um, for me, that's what my recovery consists of today. So I totally get where you're coming from, brother. It's just, I shouldn't say it baffles me. It's just amazing to me, man, that I'm the type of guy that's really open about being an alcoholic. Fuck, man, that's who I am. You know what I mean? I got to remember that I'm an alcoholic. So I talk about it to quite a bit of people and it's amazing to me, the people that are just like me, and you would never know it, you know what I mean? And it's like, the connection that you have with being open about it with other people, how it's just, people like you and me, Omar, are all over the place, dude, and it's, I'm so amazed by it. It's a brotherhood, man, the, the love you feel when you tell somebody that, oh yeah, you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic, you know, so. It's a whole new lifestyle, dude, it's great. And, and did I get to share that with people that I work with? You know what I mean? I would have never thought. Man, I couldn't have said it better myself. You know, my life is such a miracle today. We spent so many years destroying our lives, man, doing just a tremendous amount of drugs, you know, almost killing ourselves out there. Then we come into these rooms and we think our lives are over now that the party's over, but we don't realize that our life has just begun and it's a life beyond our wildest dreams, man. So I fucking get it man absolutely so so my brother tell me how do you maintain your spiritual condition today that conscious contact with a higher power i talk to my higher power real early in the morning man i get up super early and every morning i get up i enter into prayer you know and i ask for guidance to guide me through my day and then shortly after you know i i hop in the shower and 
I sit down and that's where I get my meditation on. You know, I just close my eyes and I listen. And I like to think that someone else, my higher power, is planning my day out for me, how my day is going to go and preparing me for that. So that's, I connect every morning. And before I leave for work, I have the serenity prayer. I have a little sign in my house and I pass by that every morning. It's kind of a reminder to stop and say it and to remember that that's there for me. So I stay connected with my higher power on a daily basis. And it's crazy that I could say that now because I was that guy that had the hardest time with the higher power. And when I went, right when I got out of uh, treatment, I went to my first AA meeting out of treatment. And I remember some old guy told me, oh, if you're having a problem with the word God, Think of it like this, and this is amazing. Think of the word God as an acronym for group of drunks. And from that day forward, I was able to say God with power and conviction. So that's how I got really connected, you know, with my higher power. My higher power started out, I think it was, uh, you know, leaf that blow in the wind. And then it, it kind of grew from there. So I'm not quite sure what my higher power is these days. You know what I mean? I know that I have one and that I need to stay connected with that. Group of drunks. Oh, man. <laughs> I fucking love it, man. And for those out there that are having a tough time with the higher power concept or the God concept, then, you know, a nice acronym like group of drunks works, man. You know, it's basically it's the concept of the room being your higher power. You know, HP, baby, whatever it takes. So, Seth, how much clean time you got and when's your anniversary date? Well, I recently um, just celebrated five years of recovery. My clean date is October 7th, 2010. Man, Seth, I really love that episode that you did with Shane on your five-year anniversary. It was awesome, man. I really enjoyed it. It was lots of fun. And I can tell, man, you just love being in recovery. So now you just celebrated five years. Apparently, you're supposed to get your head out of your ass after five years. Do you feel any different now after just celebrating five years of continuous clean time? You know, Omar, no, I'm not. Like I told Shane on the podcast, the most important thing is today, dude. Like, I wouldn't have five years if it wasn't the five years of days leading up to that. Yep. Like I told my stepdaughter, man, one day, after the day of my five-year sobriety date, I was like, man, I thought to do I was going to have, I don't know, like glitter was going to fall from the sky and there was <laughs> going to be this awesome <laughs> feeling of euphoria and I didn't have that. It was like, <laughs> it's just another day. So really, dude, like, I celebrate one day of sobriety every day. If I continue to do that, I might get to my next milestone. You know what I mean? I'm pretty sure that my next milestone will feel like the last milestone I just got through. So really, the importance is today. And sometimes it's minute by minute, man. So yeah, five years, it's been a good road. Absolutely, my brother. Now, Seth, tell us. How old were you the first time you drank or used drugs? And more importantly, how did they make you feel? The first time I had a drink was probably, I would say sixth grade. Sixth grade was probably the first. Let me go back a little bit. Shane's probably told of the story of us stealing O'Doul's out of the cooler and sneaking that back to the room. So that was my first like, drinking experience of feeling cool and feeling one up. But my first drunk was probably in sixth grade, man, and I'll tell you what, Omar, it allowed me to not feel. Yeah. The feeling of not being able to feel was amazing. That's what I wanted. Yes. I wanted to not feel. Fucking A, man. Just complete disconnection and annihilation. That's what I was looking for. That's what you were looking for. That's what we do, man. You know, we don't drink just to fucking hang out and have a good time. We drink to get fucked up. You know, I, I, you know what's funny is, speaking of that, is your O'Doul story. You guys sneaking O'Douls thinking you're getting some kind of fucking buzz. Yeah, we were drinking O'Douls, but the crazy thing is, you know what I mean? Like, if you really want to get down to it, the O'Douls drink, I guess, was my first drink. Because for those of you that don't know, I mean, there's a little bit of alcohol in there. So I'm sure that I had a little bit of effect. And then, you know, alcohol turned into hard liquor. And then, of course, you know, my addiction ended up doing drugs. Started with weed and then towards the end, and we'll get into that a little bit more. But I was fucking mixed in Oxycontins and ecstasy and crushing them up and snorting them. Like, how fucking crazy is that, dude? And I don't know. Dude, so, yeah. It, and it, it I is was just, crazy. I just kept looking for that feeling of not feeling more in it. That's just where it led me. 
I fucking hear you, man. I remember when I first came into the rooms and I'd hear people talking about taking Oxycontin and shit that I'd never done before and gone, oh my God, I think I came in here fucking too soon. You know what I'm saying? It's like I missed out on some shit. You know, like I, I'd go, I'd be in there going like, oh shit, I'm coming too soon. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, crazy, you know. man. <laughs> that tells you, you know, you might be an addict if, you know what I mean? So. All right, Seth, you are all warmed up, man. It's time for me to turn this show over to you. It's time for you to tell us your story, the battle against drugs and alcohol, the wreckage it caused in your life, when you hit rock bottom, and finally your journey into recovery up until today. So, Seth, take it away. Yeah, man. So I'm the son, the grandson, the nephew of alcoholics. I have a lot of alcoholics in my family and alcoholics that are still practicing today. So uh, I was born to an alcoholic father, a mother that left that alcoholic father. Was kind of raised by a single mom for a real long time. A woman that smoked pot on a regular basis, that was gone a, a lot, so she had two, had two children that she needed to support. So I was kind of like the latchkey type kid, man. I would come home to school to, to know parents and kind of free for all. Yep. Fast forward a little bit to sixth grade. You know, or fifth grade, fourth grade, whenever the fuck it was. Some grade mm-hmm. in elementary school. I went to a barbecue with my parents. And my parents, they had a pretty rowdy crowd of friends. And they always drank, you know. And that's where I guess my story kind of starts, man, is that me and a couple of my homies, Shane, who does that Sober Guy podcast, thought it would be cool to steal some uh, Odoo's out of the cooler and sneak it back into the room. And we didn't just steal one. It was, all right, well, shit, we can get one. Let's try and get two next time, you know. And that led into early life with thievery, you know, without yeah. being That's crazy. And I just thought of that. You know, that's where it started, that I could just be. My first drunk was probably in sixth grade. I'm after my mother had gotten remarried. The man that raised me. He's an amazing man, and, you know, he's uh, quite a bit of a drinker. I wouldn't say that he's an alcoholic because I don't have that power to diagnose, but uh, he's definitely a drinker. I remember getting drunk off of uh, some leftover champagne that they had in the house when they were on their honeymoon, that some champagne left over from their wedding, and I just got fucking shit-faced, man. And it wasn't, uh, I didn't just drink like a glass of champagne. I put it down. I drank the whole bottle of champagne in sixth grade, you know, and like I said, that just led me to the feeling of not being able to feel, you know, and that's that's what I was looking for. I was looking for something that was going to just kind of take me away from it all. And alcohol did that for me. And it did that for me my entire junior high and high school life. Alcohol, and I started smoking pot probably my freshman year of high school, so it was alcohol and weed were big for me, man. Social events, alcohol, and, and weed was there, and I was definitely down to partake. I remember going to football games, dude, and I was pretty good at football. You know, I played varsity in my freshman year, you know, but I remember sound. Damn, you were a big kid then. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I was a big fella. I, I mean, I, I'm probably the same size now. Six one two eighty or something like that. Damn, yeah, you were big, Jesus. So you were freshman. Yeah, yeah if you were on the varsity, a freshman, you were big. Yeah, uh, the varsity team was pretty good. I didn't get much playing time, but I did spend a lot of time on the sidelines just thinking about the after party, how <laughs> fucked up I was going to get at the after parties. And this is, you know, freshman year. I'm on the varsity football squad. I, I should be into the game. You know what I mean? And it just goes to show what alcohol had done for me at such an early age. It just kind of, it was my new love. So high school was spent in an alcoholic stone haze. I had a girlfriend that I was with for the whole time, you know, that always said, like, Seth, you drink too much. I didn't feel like I did. I was just doing what everyone else was doing. You know what I mean? Yep. So by the grace of God, man, I actually graduated high school. With a decent GPA, you know what I mean? I was pretty proud of that. I mean, you know, there were people that I went to high school with who was like, damn, you got a fucking problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was 18 years old, man. I didn't have no fucking problem. That only happened. Alcoholic drugs. The whole people that were alcoholics were fun. You know what I yeah. mean? They weren't, they weren't seniors in high school. I was just partying. So I remember, man, I, I'll never forget, day after we gra- graduated, we, you know, I made a round of parties with some of my friends and 
I showed up to one party, man. I was just fucked up, out of my mind, could hardly walk. And I remember falling through this glass table. Oh. You know what I mean? Dude, I still have a, a scar on my arm from it. I look at it every day, and I get to be reminded of the glass table. And it's actually turned into kind of a joke now. When stuff comes around, make sure all the glass tables are put away. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of funny now. <laughs> But I look back, I look back on it, man, and that was my first time. You know what I mean? You're the only motherfucker that gets so hammered that you're falling through glass tables at such a young age. Yeah, man. I got through that. I lived. I was able to uh, get up, and I, I had to go back the next day. And the money that I had gotten for graduation, I had to uh, repay the people whose house it was to buy them a new glass table. You know what I mean? That was a little hard for me to do that was just a consequence of my behavior you know what i mean yep got out of high school and decided to go to college just a junior college here in town and i wasn't working at the time so i was still a drinker man i, I still was doing drugs and my mom gave me her atm card one day to go to the grocery store and so i picked up something from the grocery store and then that just sparked this thing in my mind like Damn, I can use mom's ATM card for my fucking habit. So I was, yeah. I was uh, well, I was in junior high, or junior college, man. I would fill my mom's ATM card out of her purse in the middle of the night, you know, withdraw, I don't know, 60, 80 bucks to buy some booze and some, some weed at the time. And that turned into, uh, it was probably like a $9,000 fucking debt. That was a $9,000 trip to the grocery store is what I told my mom. What? So I, yeah, I ended up stealing $9,000 from my parents to support my drinking and drugging habits while I was in junior college. And this, I, dude, I wasn't in junior college for no more than probably four months, five months. You did all that four or five months? Yeah, bro. Oh. I was uh, I was buying booze for me and, you know, anyone else that wanted to fucking hang out because I had to pin number to mom's ATM card. And the craziest thing, dude, is no remorse. You know, I never thought that I would get caught, which is fucking crazy because all she's got to do is look at a bank statement and realize. So so after I stole $9,000, mom finally caught on. My stepdad was like, Seth, you know what? You're not going to fucking college anymore. I'm going to put you to work. You're going to pay off your fucking debt. And then you got a month to decide what you do with your life. That was like, holy shit. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's really getting real. You know, that didn't stop me. I got hired on with a company that worked, he worked for. And uh, the only thing I had to do, man, was go to work and pass the piss test. Uh, I ended up failing the first piss test. And because, you know, I owed him this money, um, he was able to talk his boss into keeping me on. And he did. And said, all right, we're going to let this motherfucker take another piss test. So, that, you know, he's got to pass next time. Crazy thing is, I didn't pass that one either, so, so I ended up getting no. fired. That's what my whole thought process is just so fucked from the beginning, man, because I thought, you know, I know I got to take a fifth test, but if I fuck a little weed now, you know, it'll be out of my system by the time. And obviously that didn't work out so well. I kind of think it didn't work out so well. So needless to say, I, I yeah. got kicked out of the house, which uh, uh, was a, another turning point. Like, man, you need to wake up. I ended up uh, moving up to my biological father's house up in Washington. and uh, just I just couldn't take it up there, man. He's an alcoholic. So I ended up joining the military. So funny, dude. Uh, I went to the Navy recruiter. I wanted to be a sailor, you know. No, Seth, you're overweight. You're going to have to uh, lose some weight if you want to get in the military. And, of course, I was drinking at the time, so I didn't want to stop drinking. That, that probably would have allowed me to lose a little bit of weight. <laughs> and uh, I walked down and walked down to the next recruiter, man, and it, it was the Coast Guard. So uh, I went in there, and he, he said, all right, well, when do you want to leave? So that was one of the most proudest moments in my life because I got, I got accepted in the Coast Guard. I went off to boot. And boot camp was, it was an enlightening experience, man. It was probably the first time in my life since sixth grade that I had to be sober. I shouldn't say I had to be sober. I had to go without having a drink. Right. I mean, that was rough, dude. That was rough. So uh, I ended up getting out of boot camp, getting shipped off to Alaska. And the last place a fucking boy is 
from California wants to go to fucking Alaska, right? Where it's, I don't know, 20 below, and I'm used right. to 80 degrees in the winter time. You know what I mean? You just send my ass to Alaska. So I ended up going up to Alaska. You know, it was a great experience. My first run-in up in Alaska with the law was I had, we had just came back from filling the Bering Sea, which was amazing. I don't know if you watched any of that Deadliest Catch show or whatever that we did, you know, a couple of years ago, but it's for real out there. Like, 60-foot seas and shit, bro. It's for real. But uh, we ended up getting back into port, man, and I was able to get off the boat and go out and, and party with the guys, you know. Now, I was probably 19, 20 at the time, so I was still underage. And up in Alaska, that's, that's bad juju, man. You get underage drinking, they take that shit serious. So probably three months into my unit, I ended up getting arrested up in Alaska for underage drinking. And uh, what my addiction allowed me to do was to fully lie about who I was. I think I gave right. my brother's name, not even thinking that, oh, they're going to fucking find out who I am. You know what I mean? And that's just what my addiction oh. is to me, man. It, it, it allowed me to lie without having any feelings. So I, I know up, exactly uh, what you're talking about. End up um, leaving Alaska and going to school, and I end up getting stationed in New York. And through this whole time, man, I'm just, same shit, you know, you've heard the stories, man, drinking. I hadn't stopped. I hadn't even been brought to my attention that, you know, I had a problem. I think one of the things that was crazy to me is I was drinking just as much as everyone around me. Did. I associated with the alcohol. You know what I mean? I didn't want to hang out with people that weren't fucking drinking and going out and doing cool shit. I wanted to hang out with the people yeah. who were locked in a dark room drinking. You know what I mean? So um, For I sure. Had, you know, alcoholics want to be with alcoholics. So I ended up getting stationed in New York in early 2001. We all know what happened in New York in 2001. And I was in Staten Island, you know, and this was, we were one of the first units on scene during 9-11. I have a real hard time talking about 9-11 because I feel like it was kind of a turning point for me. You know, like I turned from a happy drunk to someone that was really reserved and quiet. I wanted to isolate. So that's where the isolation began. I moved up in ranks pretty quick. You know, I had a couple of alcohol incidents uh, while I was in the Coast Guard that, you know, they knocked me down in rank and then they picked me back up, you know. So my plan was to stay in for 20 years. I think early 2003, it really became apparent to, to the Coast Guard that I had a serious drinking problem. I mean, I was in New York, Omar, and, and the bars in New York, they don't close until 4 o'clock in the morning. For an alcoholic like me, that's fucking bad. My daily routine while I was in New York was we would get off work at 1 o'clock. I had this bar in Staten Island. It was uh, Sharky's. It was called Sharky's. It was like a pool hall, and they had dollar draft beers from 1 o'clock until 8 o'clock at night. So, of course, it could come 8 o'clock. I'm just warmed up. I'm ready to take the four. And there was many nights that I would wake up, uh, I'd leave the bar at 4, and I'd be on the boat at 7 o'clock. You can oh. only imagine what a whole fucking night of drinking was doing to me. Uh, everyone else thought it was me. So I end up going to, I get an ultimatum placed in front of my face that's like, Seth, yeah. You're going to rehab. You don't go to rehab, you're getting kicked out. I was really proud of my service at the time, so so I ended up, you know, of course, going to rehab, so I didn't want to get kicked out, because it was my plan to stay in for 20 years. So I went to rehab. It was a pretty amazing experience for me. I met a lot of good people in there, and I kind of opened up to the thought that, yeah, you know, maybe I am an alcoholic. It didn't last very long. I think about a week after I had gotten out and gotten back to my unit there in New York, we, uh, we were going up to Maine to the dry dock, and uh, I went out and got fucking completely hammered. And then from that time on, it was they were working on my discharge. They had already invested in me. They had already, you know, we've already sent this guy to rehab. You know, we gave him his chances, and they were going to wash their hands with me. So I ended up getting out of the Coast Guard with a real big disappointment in the mind. So I had planned on staying in for 20 years, you know. And to have a dream taken away, it just kind of put me in a little bit of a darker place that I was in. 
from the get. So of course. I ended up, uh, ended up getting out of the military, and uh, I joined the electrician's union. That's what I do today. I'm a journeyman electrician. I'm in the construction industry, and no better place for an alcoholic to uh, go be with other alcoholics other than the construction industry. At least that's what I thought. But, uh, I worked with hardworking guys that worked hard and party harder, and that was fucking great. Started uh, smoking weed on a daily basis because I wasn't getting drug tested. The hilarious thing, our drug test, it was random, right? So the random <laughs> drug test, they would send you a, a letter two months prior to when you were going to be tested. That was their random test, so I could plan for that. Get clean real quick for a month and pass the test and get right back. So I, I end up finishing my apprenticeship up, and uh, that's when I, I get introduced to cocaine, man. Cocaine for me, what cocaine allowed me to do was uh, to drink more. Fell deeper and deeper into the abyss, man. And this whole time, you know, after alcohol and weed and cocaine, man, just I was looking for that next best thing that would make me not feel what I was feeling at that time. You know what I mean? And it's crazy that the amount of people that I talked to, like, I mean, it didn't matter if I was feeling happy or good or sad or mad or angry or whatever. I was looking for something to take that away from me. And drugs and alcohol allowed me to do that. So fast forward, you know, a little bit, I ended up finishing up my apprenticeship. And that time I had become totally isolated. I, I packed up all my shit and moved up to this little town here in Northern California called Tarbuckle, out in the middle of this almond orchard, you know, just away from everybody and everything. And it was heaven to me, you know what I mean? Because I could go there, I could fucking drink as much as I want, I could smoke weed, do whatever I wanted to do, and no one would ever know what I was doing until I met my wife. We partied together, we partied together for a little bit, you know, and we ended up one night, it was brought to my attention that Seth, you got a fucking problem. You need to do something about it. So I ended up, all right, I won't drink anymore. I did for a little bit, but then I started back up again. And one night, man, we just, we got in a knockdown, drag out fight. And we were just still dating at the time. We were probably together maybe six months, seven months. And um, it didn't turn physical or anything like that. It was more of a verbal, you know, very abusive verbal confrontation. I remember waking up, and I was probably two sheets to the wind, you know what I mean? I, I remember waking up the next day, kind of curled up on the floor of our little room that we, you know, was our office. From that moment on, I was like, you know what? I'm fucking done. I had enough. I had enough of not feeling, you know what I mean? I was ready to feel again. So I, I went over to my mom's house and uh, kind of just broke down. Like I told Shane, man, I was on my fucking knees, dude, crying. To my mom, I yeah. I need fucking yeah. help. So, um, you know, with the uh, work that my my now wife and my mom put in, uh, they found this wonderful place up in Sebastopol, California, and I went away for 28 days, man. I, I uh, really immersed myself in bettering my life. It was a time that I could work on me, you know, and not have to worry about what was going on at home or or anything like that. I still got to be a little selfish, you know what I mean? Just to work on myself. And the amazing thing about my wife, man, is that we were, like I said, we were only together probably six or seven months before all this shit went down. And this woman stuck by my side. She came up every weekend, visited, and totally immersed herself in my recovery, man. And, and from that point forward, man, I just kind of made this commitment to myself, first and foremost, that I was going to make some changes in my life. And that I was going to use the tools that I was going to use to make some serious changes, man. And it was hard. You know, it, it was really hard. And, you know, my story, man, it's not, it's an alcoholic story, you know what I mean? I don't want to get too far into the details of the mass destruction and whatnot. It was a typical alcoholic life. But what's more important to me is spreading the message of where I get to be at and what I get to do today. Today, my life is, not that it's without its struggles, but it's, it's pretty much fucking painless, man. Like I've expressed to Shane on his podcast, I keep my shit real simple. Because if I don't, my life will get real complicated and I'll get flustered and I'll, I want to not feel it. 
But what my life is like today, you know, I, I put my best foot forward every day and do the best that I can do. I stay connected with my higher power. I uh, stay connected with a really, really strong support group. And uh, I just do it one day at a time. And he's like, I heard this old saying, dude. It was like, just do the next right thing and everything will work out. And it does. It's so crazy how the shit works out, man. I had a lot of anxiety about coming on your show tonight, Omar, for some god-awful reason. I don't know where that anxiety was coming from. And I woke up on Thursday, bro, and I got to listen to fucking Rule 62. You know what I mean? And that's <laughs> something that I, that I live by, you know, is, is it really that fucking serious? Is what I say, what I do, what other people say, what other people do, is it really that fucking serious? And the short answer to that is no, it's not. You know what I mean? My higher power has allowed me to uh, kind of not really take too much of anything serious these days. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing or if that's a bad thing, Omar, but I'll tell you what, the last five years, it's been really good things. When I start getting into that mode of, of taking shit too serious and anxiety, my higher power, like you, they throw little things at me like Rule 62, man. So I got to listen to that. And then today, you know, continuing on that road to recovery, you know, because obviously I don't feel that I'll ever be fully recovered. And it's a battle that I get a fight every day nowadays. I don't have to fight it. I get a fight, which is pretty awesome. I was on my way home today. I got to listen to that Sober Guy podcast. And uh, Shane said something real profound to me in that podcast today. And I put that shit on pause and I called him up. I didn't care that he was on vacation with his family when I told him, Shane, I just want to let you know that I appreciate your fucking podcast and I don't give a shit that you're with your family right now. So I don't know where I'm going with that, Omar. But uh, it's, it's, Well, I want to know what he said now. He was grateful. And it, it's crazy how the higher power works out, how my higher power works for me, because I think that, he was maybe at a point on his vacation that he needed to hear something like that. And that, I like to say that, you know, I did that, but my higher power did that. You know what I mean? So he laughed and he was like, all right, you fucking asshole. Like, I got to go now. And I was like, all right, well, fuck off too. And, and it was great. And we get to do that and not have any uh, hard feelings of saying something like that to each other. So that's my story, man. And uh, I'm sticking to it. Like Paul Churchill said, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. And it's a great story, man. I mean, Seth, I'm, I'm so grateful to, to be able to, you know, share with people all over the world and get these amazing stories. And, you know, as you're, as you're sharing your story, there's so much of it that I can relate to. Uh, you know, when I discovered cocaine. It was the same thing for me. It was like, oh my God, I can drink so much more now. Like that was the whole, whole goal. You know, it's, there was it was always about destruction and never even re realizing it, man. But I can drink longer. Who wants to drink longer? There's a reason why, you know, you get to a point where you can't drink anymore. You're not supposed to drink anymore, you know. And, and I also remember, like, when, you know, all the times that I was trying to stop, right? And I, and I was married at the time. It was my first marriage. I was And, and it was like, okay, I'm just going to smoke weed, Okay. I'm just smoke weed, okay, because I never get in any trouble when I smoke weed, right? And so it was always just me figuring it out, okay, because I knew better. I've always known better, and everything I was making was just making my life worse, and I was getting more miserable, you know. So, man, I, I totally related to everything you were talking about, Seth, really. I mean, it's almost like we're walking the same path, bro, and then you find recovery, and your life becomes this unbelievable amazing life that you would have never, you never, ever, ever would have imagined. You're right, Omar. I would have never thought in a million years that I would be this man that I am today. I'm a husband and I'm a stepfather. And I would have never thought in a million years that Seth Mantras, party boy Seth Mantras, would have the opportunity to love and be loved. And today I get to have that. There's a note on my chalkboard right now. I had a little bit of a rough week, you know what I mean? I wrote this note on the chalkboard. Well, first off, the first note on the chalkboard that uh, my stepdaughter wrote was something to the effect of, don't blame your unhappiness on others. 
And that really spoke to me. And I had to erase it because it was a wake-up call. You motherfuckers, you are blaming your unhappiness on others, and you're making others suffer right now. I had the opportunity to make my amends the other night, and they accepted that. I get a right shit on the chalkboard that says uh, stuff like, thank you for loving me when I'm unlovable. I would have never thought that I could feel that way and that I could be loved even at my most unlovable point in my life. It's just amazing that the only reason why I get to feel like that is because I'm sober. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. How old's your stepdaughter? She's 15. Yeah, because I was about to say, when she when she wrote that on, on the chalkboard, I go, how old is she? Because she's, she's got to be older. So they're so insightful, man. And they're little women. You know what I mean? Mine's 12 years old, man. And and we'll sit across the dinner table and I'm like, how old are you anyway? It's like, when did yeah. you turn into a little woman? Jesus. Yeah, it's crazy, dude. I, like, she's a wonderful kid, man. I, I get to see her grow every day and smile and laugh at the most funny and ridiculous things about life. You know what's even crazier to me, man, is that she is so interested with sobriety. Like, she's into that shit. Last night, she was listening to Shane's podcast, and we were like, what the fuck is that playing? She is just so interested in this lifestyle, and she's, I don't know, she's just a normal 15-year-old, or maybe she's not a normal 15-year-old girl. So it's funny, that's another thing sobriety brings, man, is enlightenment to others, and we get to kind of spread the word about what addiction is and what addiction could do to a person. And yeah. how, how one could come out of that addiction and live a successful, productive life. That's one of the biggest rewards today is that I get to share that with the people that I love the most. Well, the cool thing about that, too, is it's, the, you know, it's, it's like my wife. It's the same thing. Um, you know, it's, it's just a reflection of how we are. It doesn't matter, you know, what we do, you know, no matter how badly we fuck up. Because the program forces you to take a look at your behavior and then go clean your side of the street. And when you do that, the people in your life go, man, this is pretty cool, man. Like, uh, what are they doing that allows them to, you know, go from, you know, being a lunatic to all of a sudden going, you know what? I got to own my shit here and I'm sorry. And, you know, I'm going to change my behavior. Like, well, uh, uh, and, you know, ultimately it leads her to go, let me find out. Let me find out what it is that, that you know, my stepdad's doing and listening to. And, 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 and I want to know more about, you know, what he does because I like it, you know. So it's obviously a reflection of how we live our lives today. And, that's, you know, we're allowing the sunshine of the spirit you know, to beam through us, man. You know, when, when, when God is working through us, it's attractive, you know, and, and people want to know, you know, what it is that you're doing, well, you know, which is another reason why I love doing what I, what I do. I mean, the other day when I was listening to podcasts with you and, 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 Sh and Shane, and you were talking about how you said, you know, uh, I love you to your stepdaughter. And she said, I love you back. You know, and I was picturing it. I was picturing that moment, man. And, and, I almost got teary in the, in that moment, you know, just thinking about what that's got to be like right there for you in that moment. And it's just, it's, it's, a, it's an indescribable feeling, man. And, and you only have it because we're in recovery, you know, um, uh, you know, I'm kind of speechless now. No, absolutely. dude. And I blame my life today on recovery. Most definitely. And like I said earlier, man, I'm very open about being an alcoholic. I talked to everyone about it. I was having a conversation with one of the guys at work today right before I was leaving. And uh, something to the effect about, you know, going and having a couple of drinks on a Friday. And I said, you know, I don't have to do that anymore. He said, what? This fucking crazy place that we work at. <laughs> what is fucking wrong with you that you, you don't go out and drink? And I told him, I was like, look, man, if I went out and drank with you tonight, you wouldn't even have that opportunity to ask me what is wrong with you. You would fucking know that I am fucking crazy when I drink or use drugs. So I would rather have you ask me what the fuck is wrong with you than for you to already form that opinion and for you to see the reality of what 
my addiction can do to me. So I, I find great joy, and, and this is it's just something that works for me, man. I get to be open and honest about, dude, I'm a fucking alcoholic. And what me being an alcoholic, if all that pain and wreckage that I went through the first 15, 16, 17 years of my life has allowed me to feel and be the way that I am today, I would fucking do it over in a heartbeat, Omar. And that's no joke, because the way that I get it, face life today is so rewarding, you know what I mean? I talked about not being able to feel anymore, but today, man, I get to be angry, I get to be fucking happy, I get to be sad, I get to be pissed off, and you know what's even the most exciting part about that is I get to work through all that shit on my own, and that's the fucking true reward in sobriety today. HP, baby! I'm worked up right now, dude. So <laughs> where, so where it's 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 such a difference from where I came from, where you know I didn't want to feel, but now it's like, dude, I gotta have a fucking feeling. Sweet, bro. You know what I mean? It's so weird. It's so fucking weird, but it's so, you know, it's so great. And then, and you know, then, you know I, I get to do I get to do cool shit like this. Yeah. I get to talk to a man in Costa Rica that. Went through the same shit that I went through, and then, you know, our talk gets to be heard around the world by that's fucking empowering, you know what I mean? And I get to feel the excitement and the emotions that come from that today. Oh, man, I fucking love it, man, and I'm so right there with you, bro. I'm so right there with you, man. There's so much excitement and so much vigor that comes along with recovery and doing the next right thing and being of service and helping others, man. It's an indescribable feeling, man, and it's like when I'm on one of these interviews and I'm hearing somebody's story and I'm feeling the other person's excitement and energy and passion, man, it just fucking jacks me up, bro. So HP, baby. Preach it, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I will. I will. And, I, you know, I do it on a daily basis, man. Like I said, there's a, there's a lot of people that I know today that are going through or went through some of the same shit that I went through. And, and it's the whole recovery community that has introduced me to that. And I'm so grateful for that. I always think that I'm on this movement to remove the stigma of alcoholism and drug addiction because, I mean... Let's be honest, man. We're all people, you know what I mean? Some of us were just born with ability to drink and drug and cause wreckage and don't want to feel. And some of us were born with the ability to live normal lives. And I was just given the opportunity to uh, cause wreckage and then ask for forgiveness and recover from that, man. And I, I get to do that today. It's great. I love it, man. I love it. All right, Seth, we could do this for the next couple hours. All right, but we're not going to. So we're going to close this thing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do it. And you know what, Omar, man, we're definitely going to keep in touch. So, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's carry on. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I love those Sober Guy Sunday meetings, man. That's always yeah, a blast. Yeah, they're fun. All right, buddy. So we're going to close up for the newcomer, man. I'm going to ask you five questions about your early recovery, and you're going to respond with inspiring and insightful answers you can share with our newcomers. Are you ready? Absolutely. All right, let's do this, man. Number one, what was keeping you from getting clean or staying clean when you first got introduced to recovery? Uh, it's real simple, man. I wasn't ready. I hadn't hit my bottom. Like I said, I've been to rehab twice, man, and the first one just didn't stick. I wasn't ready. Perfect. And number two, at what point did you have a spiritual awakening, that aha moment in recovery when you accepted you were powerless over drugs and alcohol but for the first time had developed the hope that you could recover? I'd have to say uh, it was probably my third day as your acres up in uh, Sebastian, Florida, the second time I went through recovery, man. Check this out. Just real quick. I'm not going to get too far into it, but I checked myself into rehab on the 7th of October of 2010. My, my real, my biological birthday, my real birthday is October 10th, man, and I turned 30 that year. Oh, I was three days into this new treatment center, just feeling awkward and fucking weird. And I lift my head up, man, and the cook is walking in with a fucking cake, a birthday cake. And I got 27 strangers singing happy birthday to me. Oh. And at that point in time, I was like, you know what? I get to fucking remember this. I get to be empowered by this. So I would say that at that point in time, man, it's when... 
the light came out of the sky and was like, Seth, you are right where you need to be. And the craziest thing, man, for my 30th birthday, I had these big plans of, uh, big Raider fans, so I had these plans of going to the Raider game and just get completely annihilated. But you know what? I get to remember my 30th birthday today, and, and I look back at that, and it's like, man, and the love I felt, that was my awakening was when I had 30 strangers singing happy birthday, a heartfelt happy birthday. You know, and I got a hug from each and every one of them, which was amazing. Dude, that is, man, you got great stories, Seth. Great stories, man. I love the way you tell stories, dude. Oh, man. All right, number three. Do you have a favorite book you would recommend to a newcomer that you read in early recovery? Yeah, absolutely, I do. And this is a book that I still read today, other than the big book. I love the big book. I love reading the big book. But something else outside of the AA program is The Four Agreements, man. The Four Agreements is how I try and live my life today. I would definitely recommend checking that out. It's by uh, Don Miguel Ruiz. I love that. I actually got it on an audio book now that I get to listen to. Uh, when I'm not listening to podcasts, I listen to that. And it's, it's one of my most favorite books. And, you know, there's many times I buy that I buy that book and I'll, I'll hand it out. Like, I'll, here, motherfucker, you need some Four Agreements in your life. So, nice. Four Agreements, yeah, the Four Agreements <laughs> by Don Miguel Ruiz. That's I love it, man. All, time. Yeah. all right. Seth, what is the best suggestion you have ever received? I would have to say I've received a lot of good suggestions, man, but I think that the biggest thing uh, was that suggestion that I mentioned earlier that kind of put me in contact with my higher power, and that was the uh, group of Jerome, the acronym for God. Use the word God if you have a problem with God as group of Jerome. So I think that, and then also, you know, too, is uh, keep it simple. Beautiful. I did. I like that one, man. Group of drunks. That's the first great. time I've heard that one. Great. <laughs> it is. It's great. Especially when you're a newcomer, you need acronyms like that, you know, that, that, that breaks the ice. It keeps things, uh, you know, on a very, very primitive and, you know, not so serious level, man. It, it'll, it'll make you laugh. It's been my experience that most people that are going through what we went through back in the days, man, we weren't too very spiritual or religious. So that word God, man, that throws up a big roadblock early in recovery. But like I said, man, God could be anything. It could be a group of drunks. It could be a tree in your front yard. You know what I mean? The way I see it anyways, it's got no ties to any religion or whatsoever. It's more of a spiritual being. A hundred percent. I agree a hundred percent, brother. All right, Seth. So number five, if you could give a newcomer only one suggestion, what would it be? Reach out, reach out. There's millions and millions of people just like you going through the exact same thing that you went through or, or that I went through or that we once went through, man. You're not alone. There's millions of us out here. And then also too, with that being said, man, there's so much fun to be had. You know what I mean? Without the drugs and alcohol, it's amazing how much fun you could have. No doubt about it. We're having a blast right now. Yeah. Oh, dude. I want to get up and fucking go run right now, and I'm probably going to go do it because I, I'm so amped up and so worked up right now, dude. So I, 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 it's so crazy, dude. I, I appreciate it. It's, it has been fun. It's been a great time. Seth, I have absolutely loved having you on the show, man. Thank you so much for joining us, brother. Omar, again, uh, you know, I appreciate it. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, you know, and unfortunately, I, I don't think there's going to be a, a meeting on Sunday, but I'll definitely be thinking about you and, and uh, all the listeners out there, man. I love you, and uh, thanks for listening and having me on. Hopefully, you know, someday soon, man, we can do it again. Absolutely. I plan on it. How about one more HP, baby? HP, baby? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love it. I love it. HP, baby. All right, folks. We have now reached the end of our show. Thanks for joining us. And as we say here in Costa Rica, Pura Vida. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the Share Recovery Podcast. To check out the show notes page on this interview or to thank our guests for sharing their story, go to www.thesharepodcast.com. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our free newsletter to stay up to date on the latest news, podcasts, and interviews. 
Want to be one of our guests and share your story? Then go to our website and click on the Share Your Story button. We share our inspiring recovery stories every Tuesday. So subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio to get your free weekly download. We'll see you then. The opinions shared on this show reflect those of the individual speaker and not of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. And though we discuss 12-step recovery and the impact it had in our lives, we do not promote or endorse any 12-step anonymous program.